Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Steve Martosi, founder of GroupMe, Splice, and Blade. Don't worry, I will ask him how he thinks up such cool business names. Quickly, want to get more interviews? Then get your resume in shape. Have the pros at Wall Street Oasis make it perfect. They go through a rigorous, iterative process to ensure that your resume is flawless. All of the reviewers are actual professionals that screen resumes for prestigious firms. So give it a try and say podcast is where you learn about it. I've been thinking about Tiger Woods all week. I love golf, and so Tiger was everything to me growing up. I remember Thanksgiving in 2009 when I saw the alert that Tiger was in a car accident. 2009 was the year I was graduating college, and November was about a month before I got my first job at J.P. Morgan. That's another story, but man, did that feel good, landing a job right in the middle of the crisis. Anyway, seeing Tiger come back after nine years of basically hitting bottom, getting a divorce, going to rehab, I put that in quotes, having multiple surgeries, and he's back. Well, almost back. The last two majors have been so exciting to watch. It's funny how he went from being loved to hated and now loved again. But look at that drive. He's 42 years old. Anyone that tells you you can't do something because you missed it by a year or you didn't get the job you wanted right out of college, are you kidding me? You can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Two years ago, when Tiger was recovering from back surgery, he said he didn't know if he would ever play again. Now he's getting second place in a major and is on the top of the leaderboard on the back nine on Sunday in the last two majors. So fuck everyone. How old you are doesn't matter. What people think doesn't matter. What you have accomplished before doesn't matter. Just go get what you want in life. Make it happen. Okay, enough motivation for me and me professing my love for Tiger. The interview today is with the co-founder of GroupMe an app that I'm obsessed with because they dominate the college market. They win over Facebook, over WhatsApp, over iMessage, and people don't understand why. Well, Steve explains it, and I hope to capitalize on it with PayClub. Every year, if we can get millions of new freshmen to download our app, like what WhatsApp does, 
when they join a club or fraternity, then that's it. Like, that's the big goal. And we'll sell it for millions like what Steve did. Oh, I almost forgot. After like 10 years of applying for master's tickets, they have this lottery process every year that millions of people sign up for because when they select someone to buy a master's ticket, it's like 100 bucks. Um, but they're instantly worth thousands. Well, I got selected this year, so my dad and I are going to go watch Tiger win. Hey, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. It's been on the books for a couple months now. You're an important guy. You're a busy guy. So thanks for taking the time. No problem. Happy to be here. And uh, thanks for the compliments. Yeah. So I'm going to say that everything you touch turns to startup gold. Tell us, you know, you're the co-founder of multiple different companies, tons of successful companies. You've had exits. Um, let's, let's like start early in the career at college. What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? Uh, are you thinking you're going to be a startup guy? You know, what was your plan? I think I can go earlier than that. Uh, you know, I remember trying to register giftcertificates.com in like sixth or seventh grade. And, uh, I, it was such a complicated process back then. I think you had to fill out a form and fax it actually to, to get an internet domain. Uh, but you know, or someone actually, someone had beaten me to it, um, like pretty, pretty recently. I remember, um, so software I've always, I think as soon as I was exposed to computers, I had a dream of owning a software company and, uh, technology and, and code always kind of felt like my canvas, like the place I could really express myself, build something and, you know, explore my curiosity. Um, so the dream was always there and, uh, the, the path to getting there it was, you know, I'd always very much, I never dreamed to work for a company. I always had dreamed to start something. And, uh, you know, through college, I, I went to Carnegie Mellon. And uh, as I was, you know, learning things and learning software development there, I, um, I started like a bunch of little sites and things to get going. I did it like a, I had applied the con some of the concepts of like fantasy football to television shows. I had built like a site called onthenext.com that did like you would predict what was going to happen throughout a, se a season of TV and you would get points and there was a community and that stuff. And that was like the first site I feel like I ever really built and launched. And, um, you know, I just got started with things like that. And then after school, uh, went and did get a programming job for, for two years and, and learned um, because I, I felt like I went through these cycles of wanting to do all this stuff, but then either getting limited by my own skills or by my own network or, you know, all these different things. And I would flip from kind of this execution mode into a learning mode and kind of go back and forth on that throughout the career as I, I got ready to, uh, to, to kind of grow things bigger. Got it. So this is, I, I like what, what you're saying, you know, it's tough to just have your first try be a success, right? So you have to get some practices, get some reps in starting some things, trying some things like that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, after that, the next one I really tried big was a company that was called Simpact Technologies. Uh, I'd done it back in, I think 2006 is when I started. And, you know, we had built this, I say we, and I always say we instead of me, <laughs> but it was just me. Uh, it had built this um, dynamic image uh, kind of technology that allowed email to change when you opened it and because uh, it would render the image uh, as you opened an email. And it was cool and it was great. And like I was starting to get some sales and was working with, 
you know, Thrillist. Uh, I had met Ben Lear through that and was working with Thrillist uh, and done some tests with Fandango and stuff. But like, once again, got super limited by my understanding of enterprise sales and like how to grow a team and how to fundraise and like eventually had to shut it down. Um, and what's fun about that one is that that idea was, you know, at the time a failure, uh, except for, I feel like I got, uh, an MBA basically and learning from it. Uh, but, uh, some friends, uh, did a, uh, a very similar concept, uh, and grew the business on the, the kind of concept of the dynamic images and they do a lot more now. Uh, but it's a company movable Inc. And, um, it's one of the kind of secret New York startups that's, you know, worth in the, in the nine figure plus range. So. Wow. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Okay. So, so what, what, what the lesson I want to say there is that timing is a huge piece of success. Um, you know, like either timing in the market, I felt like I was very early in the market and I was also very early in my career. And I was also very early in New York city's, uh, like startup period, the kind of 2006 to 2008, nine was, it was a pretty darker, uh, New York city fundraising side for someone who had no you know, real experience in it. And, um, and so, you know, I've always said, even the timing as we'll, we'll probably move forward here in a second to group me, but the timing of group me was also at least a third of that was, you know, timing and luck. Right. Timing and luck. I mean, these are things that are outside of your control, but is there anything there, uh, on the timing side that, that you do have some control over? Yeah. I think the timing side is that making sure you you have a really good set of tools and knowledge so that when you see an opportunity, that you can go capitalize on it and like being not limited by, Oh, I got to go learn this once I, once an idea strikes or I've got to go build my network or do these things. Like the more you have in your ability to kind of bring things into existence uh, that you happen to solve a, like, you know, group me was made to go to concerts with our friends. Right. And and I know you're going to have Jared on your podcast and, you know, it was a original phone call between the two of us where he was talking about, um, his, uh, his now wife's, you know, struggle with planning things on email chains and then going to the day of show and not being able to, to stay in touch with each other. And so, you know, that whole thing was we, we had known each other, we had wanted to work on something, nothing had hit. I had the engineering skills and we kind of put that together at a 24 hour hackathon. Um, so like the timing on that was we were waiting and waiting for the right idea, right time. And, um, an opportunity and it kind of just all came together and there's a lot of serendipity. I think that luck side, uh, comes up when you kind of put yourself out there, um, you know, with the right kind of tools and exposure and, and then the luck kind of hits. Yeah. So was it the two years that you spent as a software developer that gave you the tools to be able to capitalize on, on the timing or how'd you get those, how'd you get those skills? It's a couple different levels, right? So it's like, I have an endless curiosity, around this stuff. So I would learn on my own as much that I could. Uh, and then it was definitely my two stints, I guess a bit of the early stage, uh, software side by my own. But then I, I did a year at guilt group, um, after between Simpact and group me. And that year is when I learned how to really work in a team and write good scalable code. And if I hadn't had that kind of year of development again, uh, I would not have been ready to to really build something to scale. And I also, you know, a bunch of my my friends who I'd worked with uh, either at Guilt or had been consultants with Guilt, uh, you know, they, they really became a lot of my network. So I had friends to to go say, hey, this is this is our ship. We can go build this the way we want to. 
uh, come join the team and like, you know, could recruit uh, friends to go. And I, I wouldn't have had that network if I hadn't put myself out there. Right. Okay. So Steve, I put a lot of value in starting your career off working for someone else, learning these skills, getting these experiences. Uh, what do you tell someone who's about to graduate and say, that says, you know, I've got an idea. I want to be an entrepreneur. Like, should they go work for someone else or should they just, you know, head down and go try this venture? So I'm very, I have always kind of kept two paths going. I've kept myself safe path of like, you know, I need to know that I'm, I'm, uh, I've got an income and I'm stable and that stuff. And then the path of, uh, I want to go explore my passions. And, you know, my fundamental belief is if you're dealing with start, wanting to do a startup, um, you're, you, you gotta, you can do it in the nights and weekends, uh, until you have something under your belt to really like, uh, sustain your, a living a wage of some sort. And if you can't bring yourself, I hear a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh yeah, I just don't have enough time to do it nights and weekends. I really need to quit my job to do this. I believe that if you don't have, if you're not making the time uh, on nights and weekends, you don't really know, you don't really have what it takes to be an entrepreneur um, because you're going to end up putting those nights and weekends in. And you know, you, you need to be disciplined enough to do that, put the extra time in uh, while you have a stable base uh, in order to like, you know, prove that you've got the passion to do it. So, you know, I've always kind of maintained, uh, a, a steady option, uh, and built some initial ideas and things on the side, um, until, until they really had the legs. I told Jared, I was like, I can't quit my job here at guilt, uh, until I know I'm going to not miss a paycheck because I had kind of put myself in debt from the, from the previous startup. And, you know, I, I think that pragmatic approach, you can always, you can always find the time for, for, for making progress on what you're, what you're passionate about. Yeah. That's one of the main takeaways um, of all these podcasts, all these really cool conversations I've got to have with, you know, inspiring leaders and founders and CEOs is that really in the beginning of their career, no one has any idea what they're doing, you know, even later in your career. But if you're a doer, then you just wake up every day and you put one foot in front of the other uh, and you just do. And, uh, and someone told, told me, they said, you know, do you come home from work and do you watch Netflix? Okay, fine. Watch one show uh, on Netflix, but then realize that you're consuming content uh, that's made by doers and you're just, and, and you're, while you're sitting there, other people are making money off of you. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I spent a lot of years of doing both at the same time, right? So, like, the, I, I find flow, programming to be a beautiful flow state, and I love being in it. And it's unfortunate I haven't done any in a few years here, to be honest. But, um, you know, I, I would be able to, I, I think it was like I would rewatch Arrested Development kind of over and over and over again. I would find shows that were good in the background that I could program and like keep going and like occasionally look up at or get ready for the joke at and didn't actually have to visually watch and became more of an audio soundtrack. So I would try to like do both, whether it's listening to music or consuming some content, but that's the kind of joy about creation with, with software though, is like when you're empowered to do that, you don't need anyone else around to make progress. I think one of the hardest parts for entrepreneurs who want to do tech stuff when they're, when they're not empowered to build what's in their head, um, they're like, oh man, I'm blocked right now. I can't, I need to go find my technical co-founder or my other engineer, like things like that. And that's kind of a real, real power. Even if you're only good at like relative prototyping and, you know, getting your, eye, uh, the initial idea out, it's, it's super, it's super liberating and super empowering. Yeah. Uh, I agree. That's super cool. Okay. So we got to talk about group me. Sure. I mean, you had an incredible success. You sold it very quickly and, you know, it's still super, super important and it, and it still, you know, succeeds in competing over 
apps like Facebook and companies like Apple. And that's kind of incredible. You know, that's the part that probably blows my mind the most is that how popular it still is, especially on college campuses and with, uh, with the younger kind of generation. I think some of these apps will, will form like a cohort that, um, you know, people started using around, uh, this, the year it came out or the year they got popular. And then that group will continue to kind of age with it and it won't really grow as much, but to watch group me, you know, enter, the top 100, sometimes like the top 20 apps, I think I've even seen the top 10 of apps in the app store, um, especially during back to school time. It's really interesting that our cohort with that is, is college kids and, and kind of getting to college. Um, you get added to a group by some upperclassmen or you've heard that this is part of, that's part of your curriculum in some schools. So like, it's really, uh, it's really cool to watch how long the longevity of that app, considering how few feature updates and how few changes um, you know, Microsoft has made to it in the last like five years. Right. And it started off just as, as a text message, right? Well, I mean, th- that was the beauty of it, right? Is that it started, it was really before the app store was like, you know, some people didn't even have smartphones. Like we're in the in-between, this was a timing thing too. We were kind of in the in-between period where app store was in its pretty early days. Um, you know, we group texting that, that's like built into the iPhone and, and everybody just thinks they can add multiple people to things and, and the benefits of iMessage, like that stuff wasn't there. It just wasn't there at all. So we needed kind of a universal way to group message. And uh, yeah, the initial experiences was completely text based um, where we would give every group their own phone number and you'd be able to text it and the messages would fan out to all the people in the group. So that kind of universal access, by the way, and still is probably the best, uh, you know, experience across iPhone and Android when it comes to being able to use something over SMS, like it's still what it is. And that's what a big part of what made it magical and helped it grow. Yeah. Okay. So Steve, you start this company, you sell it 13 months later. I mean, you sell it for a huge amount. I mean, it's a life changing event, right? Um, does that set you up for, for the rest of your life? Like not just the money, but like the connections and the know-how and now people trust you and you know, you could probably walk into a bar and raise money for a business. Like, is, is that how it works? Yeah. You know, like the, the funny thing about that really was that you, you do walk away with some really good equity in terms of, uh, of, of investors wanting to invest in you again and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you should have seen the reaction when it was like, Oh, he's going to go do a music thing. And it was like, oh man, Steve has lost his path. Like, you know, oh, the, like there were people who definitely, like you, you, like you said, you should be able to go raise money from anyone and do that stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, you can for like anything but a music startup, um, <laughs> because you know, like you, you have this this history. So the next company I, I started after this is called Splice, and you know, some people really got it and really understood where you're going but you should see the faces. And I think until we've kind of hit the scale that we've hit now, no one has even close to understood, um, you know, what I was doing by this. I thought I was just doing a cool little lifestyle thing and like, you know, okay, Steve just wants to, to do cool music stuff and it's not building big enterprise venture startup or not, not enterprise venture startup, venture backable startups. And, uh, you know, you, you, you had to spend a lot of time proving people wrong and, that's also what created a lot of opportunity in the space because it was perceived as being something small. So yeah, in general, yes, uh, you do get a lot of, uh, credibility when it comes to, to doing, to doing more, but, um, you, I, I chose to spend it. So, (laughs) 
So is there something inside of you that just innately wants to prove people wrong? I mean, you go after messaging and you're, and you're attacking Apple and Facebook and, uh, and now you're going after music, which is, you know, just viewed as not a good business. No, there's nothing in me that wants to prove people wrong, uh, to be perfectly honest. Like there's something in me that sees the way the world should look and sees what I want to bring to it. And if you don't get it, sure, you don't get it. I'm, <laughs> I almost don't even want to, I'll spend some time trying to convince you, but uh, I want to just paint a picture, find the people who believe in the picture that I'm painting, uh, and then go out and prove it right and, uh, and, and give the value that we can create to, um, to everyone who, who needs it. I mean, we, GroupMe was made to go to concerts with our friends. And that was a problem that we had and we needed to solve. <laughs> and like, it, it turns out it was good for a whole lot more than that. But like, you know, it was just the world we wanted to see. We just didn't understand why these features didn't exist. And we weren't going to wait for some platform to go build them. So we were going to build them ourselves. Um, and, you know, I think that's very much true with all of the, the companies I've started. It's just really focused on uh, wanting to see something exist in the world. And I would say much of that is is driven from that and a lot less of it from like, oh, I just want to go build a business and, and make money. It's really not, you know, I, I tend to, I, if you had even talked to me a few years ago, I would have really been like, oh, I'm on the artist side of this. I just want to build these great things. And then the thing I've, I've learned more with Splice with, um, with, with what revenue can do and what uh, great business models can do is that they can continue to fuel your own desire to create that world. Um, and, uh, and, and also what we do at Splice is we pay out a lot to, to the community that we're creating to artists. So I, I use this kind of the business side now as a very strong way to continue to grow, um, the vision that we want to see. Right. So I just graduated from, from business school. One of my professors was pounding the table that man was born to create. And so that's, <laughs> that's what you're saying here. I mean, you don't need the money, but you really enjoy creating something that provides value to people. A hundred percent. It's, it's really the things that I'm passionate about that I want to exist and that, you know, I play, I take pleasure in, right? Like, so, you know, in splice with splice, we're, we're making more, we're making more musicians make more music, better music, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of creating, we're helping them reach their creative potential and creating opportunities for them to thrive. And my little, you know, side of, of, of pleasure. in that is I get to continue to feel these amazing kind of transcendent musical highs that come from this great art being created. So I'm here wanting to consume this stuff and, uh, and make helping artists make more of it, uh, and sustain their, their full-time careers. So I'm benefiting as a fan on that side in a huge way. Right. Well, that's, that's pretty cool, Steve. I mean, you're like a Patreon for artists. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I think there's a lot that this is the cool era of what we're doing for artists, right? Where there's a lot of people focused on this kind of rising creative class and streamlining business models and streamlining uh, the access to the technology and tools and ways that can, can give people more careers in the space and, and encourage them to create their art. So you know, and there's, there's lots of different variations of what that looks like. And, um, it just all speaks to the kind of love for the, the art that they're creating. Right. So <clears throat> this business is splice. You haven't exactly told the listeners exactly what it does, but, but tell us, tell us that and tell us the plan and tell us how's it going. Yeah. So this is, this will be fun because I know you're, you're going to, you're going to have Jared on here at some point. So Jared and I sell this, we spend, uh, we spend two years, I spell, send, sell group me, spend two years, um, 
you know, kind of earning out or we're still working on it in Microsoft land, but we knew we wanted to start something else. Uh, a lot of what we wanted to have done kind of post acquisition over there wasn't going the way we wanted. And so we, we plotted and, you know, we both decided, we knew if we worked together again, uh, we would, we would feel confident about our, our success, but we both really wanted to do different things. Jared will talk a lot about his passion for building a, a strong business that helps people and, where it let led him to the path to Fundera. And, uh, you know, I continued that same passion for music that um, we had in the initial group me uh, idea. And, um, you know, there's a, there's this space as a programmer um, where you've got all this incredible community and culture around open source, around collaboration, all these great tools, all this great knowledge sharing, this real open ecosystem. And, uh, and then you look at music and it's like, it's extremely, especially then extremely closed uh, environment. Um, there's, you know, less seats at the table for artists so they don't share their process. Uh, there's no, there's not even tools to share the process. Um, musicians kind of software is very desktop heavy and kind of like still living a generation behind. And so the opportunity that was, was there, I, um, I had, and I'd also talked to some musician friends, my, my friend, John from the disco biscuits, his, um, he had become a programmer, uh, actually after kind of group me success. And he was, he said to me one day too, where's GitHub for Ableton. And, uh, and that was like, kind of like the, the big, like, okay, everyone's thinking about this. Even the artists are thinking about this. And, uh, I had met my co-founder, Matt Amanetti, uh, down at a conference, uh, in Columbia and, we decided we knew we wanted to work together, but we didn't know what on what exactly. And I had kept this on a list of ideas that was just like, do not, it was a, it was basically a like, do not do list <laughs> because it was music. And, uh, you know, what I realized is any of the other stuff that seemed more rational from a business perspective was just not getting me to put in the nights and weekends or the getting me out of bed in the morning, all that kind of stuff. And I needed to stay on working on things I was passionate about. So Splice was, was born uh, between Matt and I. And, um, you know, it was really designed to, at first, be, you know, GitHub for music. And, you know, we learned a lot through this process. We learned a lot that, you know, we, you can't just map... You can't just build a tool and then drive a change in culture because you built the one tool. Um, GitHub stands on top of Git, which stands on top of SVN and many other you know version control systems and software before that, and a whole culture of years of collaboration and, and being open. And uh, and so we started out with um, with our version control system, but then we quickly learned we needed to do more to kind of map the needs of the music creator uh, to this open ecosystem concept. Um, so Splice evolved from there and, and added on a service called Splice Sounds, um, which is a library now of over 2 million samples and loops. Uh, and they range from just like little drum shots to, you know, composed, uh, um, you know, loops of, of melodies and things like that. And uh, that they resonated with right away, right? Because the concept of using sounds and sampling sounds, they understood that. And to me, it was a lot like uh, using each other's code libraries in the programming world. And so we kind of built the kind of Spotify of that, the like browsable, uh, integrated into your workflow way of finding sound. And um, it was a huge success. And, uh, you know, that is, we've paid out over $5 million to artists through that uh, for their sound creations. And uh, it's, um, it's grown really well. I mean, the, the amount of top 40 music being made with it is, is pretty remarkable. And, 
you know, it's, it's become splice as it's continued to grow. We do, we do a lot of other stuff too. And we have some pretty big, uh, ambitions on it as well, but you know, it's to me, the joy of, of seeing how much we've impacted the creation process for artists and musicians, uh, is, is just incredible. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the coolest thing I could be working on. Oh, I love it. That's a, that's a great story, Steve. And there's, <clears throat> there's one more, there's, there's Blade. But before we get to that, I want to hear these names, Group Me, Splice, like Blade. Now that, now that I just heard the story of Splice, I mean, the name is perfect. Group Me, perfect. Blade, you haven't said the story yet. I bet people can picture what it is. What are these, how do you think of these names? Look, I think naming is really important. And it's also one of the hardest parts of the process. Um, man, like, you know, group, group me, actually the first day we did it, Jared and I did it, it was called grouply, but it was spelled G R O O P dot L Y. And right away when you would tell people what it was, they didn't understand it. They didn't know how to spell it. They didn't know they're like dot L Y. What is that? That was like before people had like, we're using a lot of the different, uh, TL, uh, TLDs. And so like, Immediately, I knew that the, the name had to be something that someone could say, know what it is, find it easily, and pass it along easily. They didn't, I, didn't, I don't want them to have to spell it. I don't want them to have to pronounce multiple syllables and, and have awkward sentences. Um, so, like, the name is really important. Um, we got to group me. I was, I, you know, it was descriptive enough. We were happy enough. I wasn't even fully sold on it. Jared locked that one in. Uh, he locked in the name. I locked in the logo, which was also really important because our logo, the group me logo was so magical for us because it's, it's a pound, uh, a, a hashtag as most people call it now. And, a and, um, you know, an ellipse, I mean, a parenthesis, like a, uh, smiley face. So it's like, a you know, it's like what that was, is like a phone number that makes you smile, which was your group phone number and brought you together. And that became something I could type in a, in a line of text. The logo was typable. It was so cool. And so like, I think the brand stuff is super, super important. We need to have the .com, uh, you know, or an easy version of the .com to get people to like this stuff helps make your, your product and your, your, your company scale and grow and transfer from person to person very easily. So we cared about it a lot. I know we spent a lot of time on, um, on getting to group me, um, uh, splice, uh, you know, came from, um, my, my ex, she, she basically named it in an hour, which was, uh, incredibly like the most magical thing, uh, <laughs> because you normally spend so much time on these things. And, uh, and you know, the second it came out of her mouth, it was like, that's it done. And I went and spent a lot of money on the domain name, um, because I was like, I need the .com. Uh, this is the only way this goes. And, you know, when you have a desire to build, like we have a desire in, in Splice to build the most iconic company in music history. And if you're going to go after something like that, you've got to have a, the brand that can take you there. Um, and so, yeah, like I think with Blade, it was very, you know, if I, okay, so a slight segue into Blade. Um, this was another one. So Blade was built from a, a story that Rob Wiesenthal had told me. He's the uh, CEO and my co-founder. And uh, it was around basically uh, how he had uh, chartered a helicopter to the Hamptons and so had one of his friends. And they actually saw each other take off and land in the exact same spot. And they're like, we could have just rode together. We're friends. Like, this is crazy. Um, and I know that sounds like, you know, very, um, you know, 
top of the spectrum kind of conversations here, first world problems. But it was very clearly that that flying could become much more accessible uh, if it was optimized. And uh, and so Blade's kind of vision of of putting uh, of building a crowdsourcing model uh, for you know aviation and particularly short haul aviation with helicopters and seaplanes um, was 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 born from that concept. And um, I immediately you know Rob and I had known each other through he was a group me investor and we had uh, we'd gone in with uh, okay like we're going to birth this we're going to make this real. And uh, that's one thing I have to be good at. And so spent the time on the name and uh, <laughs> got to Blade. I was very happy. Uh, immediately registered flyblade.com um, and, uh, and worked with the same designer who I had done the Splice logo with. And, uh, you know, that brand is so strong. And once again, the strength of the brand has enabled that, making sure it really speaks to what it is and what the service is and what we aspire to be, um, has has gone a very long way in in uh, helping that company grow as well. Um, so with that one, with Blade, I, I spent time with uh, on the you know building the initial app, doing that kind of initial branding work, um, and then you know, Rob and I really didn't um, we didn't know what to expect. This was something that the two of us had uh, had. Uh, you know, wanted to do, uh, um, but without as much of a plan as we uh, we had expected, uh, and how successful it was quickly. Rob, uh, you know, left his job at Warner and became full time CEO because it's a very serious company to be running, um, and uh, and has scaled that amazingly. So um, I sit on the board there now because um, Splice is a, is absolutely overwhelming on itself, but um, you know, really really proud of what is uh, growing over there too. Yeah, that's so cool, Steve. Okay, so we're almost done here. Two more questions. I'll let you answer them as one if you want. But the first one is, you know, how are there, how is there enough hours in the day for all of this? And then uh, the last one is around, you know, advice. We, you, you said, start your career off working for someone else. But, but, uh, but yeah, those are the two questions. You know, it's funny that the hours in the day one is tough, right? So that's like because I, I'm a firm. I've always done best when I'm only working on one thing at a time. Um, so, you know, that's a piece of advice as well. Like when I'm scatterbrained, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I don't seem to make all the progress in the, the one thing. And when I find my one thing, it's, it's good because I can devote, I can, you know, hone in like a laser and stay focused. Um, so, you know, the, the thing that I was actually, believe it or not, nervous about when, when going to come on to the podcast was my advice for the, my brain has been, you know, I'd always been this early stage guy and then watching Splice grow as much as it has in a year, you know, we raised a large round, we've got over a hundred employees and like having to shift my focus into growing and scaling, it's a very different set of responsibilities and concerns. So when I was like, okay, we're going to be talking about the foundational growth stuff, uh, or I'm sorry, the foundation of starting a company. I'm like, wow, I've been so into the lands of building executive teams and, you know, quarterly planning and building processes and scaling that I'm like, man, have I lost my roots? <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the key to a lot of these things um, from an advice perspective is, is making sure you're building a great team. Uh, and that team starts with your co-founder. Um, you know, Jared and I had an incredible dynamic together. 
with me on the product and tech side and him on the business and ops side. Um, Matt and I at Splice, you know, he talks about it as a yin and yang in terms of like different perspectives and opinions on the space, one from a fan side, one from an audio engineer side, and both kind of like weaving their DNA and, and splicing them together to build what we've got. So, you know, very much needs to start with a strong, uh, strong co-founder. I mean, we used to joke about how strong uh, the bond is between co-founders. It's like as strong, if not stronger, as it can be between your spouse or your, your uh, significant other. Um, so, so it starts there and then, you know, figuring out how to make sure you have the, a network and inspire people so that you can build a great team around you. I mean, I absolutely don't know what I would be doing now without this place. Like the people we have hired at Splice are so incredible and every day working with them is, you know, when they can awe you and impress you and like you can trust them because you've been able to delegate, um, so well, it's, it's absolutely magical. And and so that's that's like a huge piece of that um, in terms of like, you know, having enough hours in the day is that you just don't, you, you can't be putting out every fire. You need a team. And, um, you know, the, the one thing I do try to balance a lot is my health. I, you know, I actively, I, I look for like life optimizations as much as I can. I work uh, within 10 blocks of where I live and I walk to work. So I have a quick commute. I, um you know, I'll, if I need to order food, I'll order my seamless on my walk home. So it shows up as soon as I get there. It's like all these little time saving things, um, you know, help me create, you can create more hours in your day, uh, by being really efficient. Yeah. Well, Steve, this was a great conversation. I like that you said you were nervous. I'm the one who was nervous to speak with you. So this was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me. It was really, it's really fun to, to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks Alex. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoy it, I ask two things. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell all of your friends. That's it. We'll be back shortly with another episode.